It's important for us to understand that the struggle for our liberation is a complete process, brother. And which requires of us to be prepared to address the causes of our oppression. In the 1970s, as heroin ravaged New York City, political radicals, including members of the Black Panther Party and the Young Lords, pioneered the use of acupuncture to treat addiction. Dr. Matula Shakur led this movement and founded the first community acupuncture detox clinic in North America. Over a decade later, he is listed among the FBI's 10 most wanted. Montreal-based filmmaker Mia Donovan explores the hidden history of how the Lincoln Detox Program took on the public health care system, Big Pharma, and the war on drugs. Civil rights hero or enemy of the state? Dr. Shakur has been incarcerated for over 30 years. Dope is Death, the podcast asks, why is he really still in prison? last episode of Dope is Death, we talked about how important the political education classes were at the Lincoln Detox, as well as how acupuncture can be used as a tool towards self-determination. Here is activist and historian Haki Kweli Shakur, who was featured in episode three. Even as, even, even as a kid going to school, the main thing that I had always noticed in the public education system was the lack of teaching us about ourselves. And I believe that that is the most damaging part of the public education system is the lack of teaching one's history. In order for us to find out who we are, we have to go through that proper education. We have to go through, you know, being taught by our own is the most important thing. That's one of the key things that I learned from Mutulu also is that we have to teach our own people in order to pull them out of the conditions of self-hate, trauma, mental health illnesses, and things of that nature, because all this stuff is prevalent in the Black community. In this final episode of Dope is Death, we will talk about why Dr. Matulu Shakur is still incarcerated after 34 years, how he was convicted of being the mastermind in a RICO conspiracy case that included the infamous 1981 Brinks armored truck robbery in Nyack, New York, where two police officers and a Brinks guard were killed. There was never any evidence that Dr. Shakur was on the scene of the crime, and in trial, it was indicated that others, including a paid informant, were responsible for the deaths. In this episode, we'll be talking to longtime comrade of Matulu's, Watani Tehemba, who was a founding member of the New African People's Organization and an associate of the Republic of New Africa. In 1986, he was jailed for over a year for refusing to speak to the grand jury because he was politically associated with Matulu. Watani was also rapper Tupac Shakur's intellectual mentor and business manager. We'll also be talking to Brad Thompson of the People's Law Office in Chicago. Brad is part of the legal team working on Matulu's case for the Parole Commission and his compassionate release plea. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I was never granted permission to record an actual interview with Matulu, either over the phone or in person, but I was able to visit him regularly while making the documentary. In fact, he hasn't been granted permission to give an interview since 2003. 
Here's a clip from one of the few recorded interviews. It's from 1995. When I became involved in the uh, Lincoln Detox process, I had already been uh, in the Republic of New Africa. I had also been involved in the National Black Political Convention. I, I was already a political animal. So acupuncture and Lincoln Detox together was a political and medical threat to the theory of legalized chemical warfare within our community. I met Dr. Shapur in 1973. I was born in 51, so I guess I was, what, 22 at that time? Tudor came to our martial arts class in Los Angeles on Central Avenue, um, and that's where I met him. That's Watani Tahimba. Matulu was a target of COINTELPRO, and so he would always been looked at out there as a person representing those people that needed assistance. And so he was generally seen as a leader. The only way we knew about COINTELPRO, there was a, a break-in in a media Pennsylvania by a group called themselves Citizens Commission to uh, investigate the FBI. It was a white group that broke in and leaked the information to the press. The Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI, an anti-war group, broke into the office to interfere with the Vietnam draft. But what they discovered was that the FBI had launched a covert war against its own citizens. The papers revealed that FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover gave clear direction to his agents to, quote, expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, and otherwise neutralize the activities of Black nationalist groups, and to prevent the rise of a Black messiah who could unify and electrify the militant Black nationalist movement, end quote. In other words, COINTELPRO was ordered to prevent Black leaders from gaining influence and power in the community in an effort to protect the so-called existing social and political order. Among those individuals whose names appeared in these memos were Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Fred Hampton, and Matulu Shakur. Fred Hampton, of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther Party, was identified as a radical threat and was assassinated by the Chicago Police Department and the FBI in 1969, two years before the COINTEL documents were revealed. Here's a news clip shortly after Fred Hampton was assassinated. Anyone who went through that apartment and examined the evidence that was remaining there could come to only one conclusion, and that is that Fred Hampton, 21 years old and a member of a militant, well-known militant group, was murdered in his bed, probably as he lay asleep. It seems very clear to us that he was assassinated, and the police officer who did that assassination then walked away from it then walked away from it and said to other people, Bobby Rush is next. Now, all of you who know Bobby Rush know that he is the Minister of Defense of the Black Panther Party. You Bobby, think there's going to be retaliation then by the Panthers? There, there won't be any retaliation by the Panthers. I think that the time will come when the people themselves will uh, take the power that belongs to them into their hands and move uh, uh, to guarantee life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness.
After the Lincoln Detox was shut down in 1978, Matulu Shakur founded BANA, Black Acupuncture Advisory Association of North America. BANA was as much of a political project as it was an important community acupuncture clinic. And as such, it was heavily surveyed by the authorities. The clinic was in operation for three years until it came under direct attack by the FBI, who alleged that Mitulu and others associated with the clinic were responsible for the 1981 Brinks armored truck robbery. There was a, a Brinks expropriation in, in uh, 1981 in Nyack, New York. The two police officers were killed and a security guard. Uh, there was a, a attempted, uh, uh, I guess, expropriation of uh, over a million dollars, and that was what its charges stemmed from. Matulu was not a, uh, on site, was not arrested on site. Uh, he was arrested after going underground. Uh, when he f- said that they was looking for him, he feared for his life and went underground. Matulu was arrested in Los Angeles in 1986. I lived in Los Angeles, and so he's arrested in my town. He had been underground uh, you know, for, for years on the FBI's uh, 10 most wanted list. And so they looked at me, as a part of a, a, a group that may have been helping keep him underground. Rather than charging me with that, they gave me a grand jury subpoena to say, come tell us what, whatever you want, you know, whatever we want to know. And so uh, I refused to testify before the grand jury. I served 14 months at uh, FCI Terminal Island. Just like Matula. Matula has no criminal history. I had no criminal history. So at, at 35 years old, I'm picked up off the street and thrown into, and I went straight from the prison, I mean, straight from the court, to the shoe, shoe was a special housing unit uh, on 23-hour lockdown, chain and shackle. You know, every time I left the cell, which was one hour a day, three showers a week, restricted visitation, all those things. So I was treated as a criminal. So I think that when I tell you that political people or political activists are treated differently, I'm telling you from personal experience. They charged me with six armored truck robberies, deliberation of a status report. Using illegally gained funds to finance camp for black children in Mississippi and to put a acupuncture clinic in Harlem, a part of the so-called enterprise I was accused of financing with illegally gained funds. As described in episode three, the Republic of New Africa was a black nationalist organization working towards an independent nation with the five southern states of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. They also sought payment from the U.S. as reparations for slavery and ongoing systemic racism. The government viewed the RNA as a major threat to the security of America. And we have a right uh, as, as oppressed people to, to talk about self-determination. And the oppressor can't tell the oppressed how that manifests. And so if we say we want an independent nation, that's our right. And if he's that's the path he took, you can't criminalize him for the, taking that path. The government will go out of its way to use the criminal legal system to shut down the movements. That's Brad Thompson of the People's Law Office and Dr. Shakur's current legal team. I think that Matulu, based on his involvement in the Republic of New Africa, based on the work he was doing regarding the detoxification and his impact made him a threat to the structures and white supremacist existence that 
society was built around. And because of that, I think that is the reason that he was such a target of COINTELPRO. What COINTELPRO would do things like uh, they'll send in agent provocateurs to try to get them involved in some kind of criminal activity. Um, that's COINTELPRO. Those are tactics that are utilized to disrail uh, or either misdirect or uh, redirect what the movement would be going into. Uh, in terms of uh, neutralizing, neutralized through killing them, send them into exile or incarceration. The United States has to say that there are no political prisoners. In order to justify incarcerating a political person, they have to be charged with a criminal act. And that is why he's in prison today, charged with crimes. The Black Liberation Movement in 1969, lost something like 43 people were killed. And this is registered members of the Black Panther Party, Republic of New Africa, the Black Guard, SNCC, known organizations. These are registered members. And something like 785 people were arrested and put in prison. In any other country with the population that New African people represent, in any other country in the world, that would be considered war. I'm a prisoner of war of a movement, whether the particular acts that they allege in this so-called RICO indictment, which is a conspiracy, is true against me. They have not no proof of that. And so what they're saying is that the political acts that were carried out by the group associated with Matulu even though there was no physical evidence that put him at any of the crimes, no eyewitnesses that put him there, nothing put him there. So he's a part of a conspiracy. Rico was first enacted as a prosecutorial tool to shut down the mob. And basically, it was created with the intention of recognizing that the structure of organized crime, quote unquote, was that there were leaders and there were people that committed the crimes at their direction. And that the ability to just prosecute people based on what they were involved in personally made it impossible for the prosecutors to actually go after who they perceived to be the leaders of these organized crime families. And what we've seen with RICO is those tools being utilized against radical political movements. Dr. Shakur has now served 34 years in prison and has been denied parole eight times. In December 2019, he was diagnosed with life-threatening bone cancer. He is currently incarcerated at the Lexington, Kentucky Medical Prison receiving treatment. He has been denied compassionate release, despite being a perfect candidate. Matula is a great candidate for parole. He has been a mentor to countless other prisoners, and I've spoken with numerous men who went through the prison system and were released and are successful now on the outside and attribute Matulu's guidance and insight to their ability to be successful on the outside. He is almost 70 years old now. And statistically, the science shows that the statistical risk of recidivism goes down 
as people age and that the risk of recidivism once people reach the age of 70 is almost zero. And that's by, you know, the FBI's own numbers. With political cases, that's so difficult where a lot of times, you know, people's political philosophies evolve and people continue to to learn and develop as society develops, but their underlying beliefs haven't necessarily changed. And sometimes a parole board or parole commission might want to see that. It might be an easier thing for somebody to go before the parole board and to say, I was wrong for believing what I believed all those years ago. And where you have individuals that that's not the case, and they can't do that. And as an attorney, you can't in good, you know, I can't in good faith encourage somebody to denounce their beliefs that they've spent years holding on to because that's, that's where their integrity is. And so that, that becomes a, a real challenge there. In today's day and age where we're looking at mass incarceration and we're looking at aging prison populations, it's important to think about the societal impacts of continuing to incarcerate people who are getting older and who can and should be safely released to society. Well, we're at a different we're at a different stage now. I'm, you know, I, I'm consultant for Black Lives Matter, uh, do security consultant for them as Black uh, Movement for Black Lives, and most people in the involved in the movement because of my background, I lend the expertise in that area. I'm inspired by young people that are doing what they're doing now. They're an extension. Uh, they've 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 gone beyond what we were doing uh, to the point where you have uh, more white people yelling Black Lives Matter than I ever thought I would see. You have Portland, you have Seattle, you have all these people that are continually in the street. And so with COVID-19 and everything, and people, uh, you know, sheltered in place, it was a perfect storm. People didn't have work to go to. They'd been, you know, basically locked in all this time. And so they're out there and and their frustrations are coming through. And so for those people that are in the street, we can see when you could just kill a man by putting your knee on him right there on television. When you can just shoot a a guy in the back because he's running through the neighborhood and you don't like the way he looks. You just, you know, no knock law, kill Breonna Taylor. All these things, there's nothing different today than what happened when we were involved as young people, except cameras in the media. And that's what we're looking at. I want to thank Dr. Matulu Shakur for his guidance and placing his trust in me to help share this story. Thanks for listening. We'll leave the last words to him. 
Um, I hope I wish I could have uh, devised more. Um, I just want to be sure that uh, everyone knows that I still have the fire in the belly, that I'll do what I can to be as productive from here as I can, that I have legal cases that will put these issues in the public record and we will continue to uh, uh, share that with whoever, and that the international community should know that the new African independence struggle and the struggle for justice is live and well. It's dormant. But here comes the win. Free Mamiya. Okay. That's the end of our series. Thank you for listening. We would like to extend our gratitude to all of those who collaborated on this podcast. Juan Cortez, Walter Bosque, Dimitri Mugianis, and all the folks at Naira. Joanna Fernandez, Cleo Silvers, Dr. Shadidi Kinsey, Dr. Samuel Kelton Roberts Jr., Haki Kweli Shakur, Watani Tayemba, Brad Thompson, Tyrone Shakur, Opreem Shakur, Talia Rodriguez Shakur, Margie Navarro, and of course, Dr. Murtulu Shakur for trusting us to tell this story. The producers would like to thank Tayemba Jess for allowing us to use an excerpt from his 1992 telephone interview with Dr. Murtulu Shakur from Lompoc Federal Prison for WHBK Radio in Chicago. And thank you to Lee Lee for his generous support in allowing us access to his full interview with Dr. Matulu Shakur from his important documentary, All Power to the People, The Black Panther Party and Beyond. This podcast was produced by iSteel Film, a documentary production company based in Montreal, Canada. The four-part podcast series is based on the documentary feature film, Dope is Death, created with the financial participation of the Canada Media Fund and Super Channel Entertainment Network. Written, directed, and hosted by Mia Donovan, with the creative collaboration of sound designer Lynn Trepanier, and story editing and additional writing by Sarah Musgrave. Sound mixed by Simon Plouf, additional narration by Latif Martin, with music by Ramachandra Borkar. Produced by Mia Donovan and Lynn Trepanier. Supervising producer Katie Mackay. Executive producer Bob Moore. Thank you to Corey Vizos and Samantha Neboshizki. For more information, visit dopestdeath.com. <laughs>